world where every belief is challenged, where do we go? You are now listening to the Truth of the Matter podcast, where the world is seen through the lens of scriptures, with your host, Jedi Milano. Hello guys, welcome to the second episode of our third season called God Is. So, kamusta naman kay guys? Welcome to the co-hosts. Who can start muna? Yeah. Hi, Jody. Yeah. I've been good. I've just been doing my requirements uh, for a work study for grade 12. Aside from that, it's been a great week. Nakapagod ba great? How about you guys? Yeah, same here. I've just been continuing the schoolwork I've needed to finish. And yeah, I'm so excited to continue the second episode of the series. And for me naman, I think it's just the same schoolwork, a lot of um, things to do, especially in leadership. And yeah, really busy. Yeah. How about you, Jedi? Yeah, my week has been nice naman. There's like a mix of events in Homeschool Global, tapos school requirements then. So yeah, just pretty standard yeah. week lang. Okay, sounds great. So yeah, so, yeah we're at our second episode already, which... Um, we're going to tackle about the other part, which is the incommunicable attributes of God. So what exactly is the incommunicable attributes of God? So if you guys remember, uh, for those who watched what we did last time, the communicable attributes of God are those attributes that we find in us as humans and we find in God, such as love. We're capable of loving. Holiness, we're capable of holiness, right? We're capable of goodness also, but not to the extent right? that God is perfect. Actually, we'll discuss that today. So... God's incommunicable attributes then are his properties of his being that distinguish him from the creature. So that would be his self-existent or, or his aseity. That would be his immutability, his unchangeableness. That would be his infinity. And under the infinity of God is his infinite perfection, right? And all of his communicable attributes. Now when God is love, when he loves, it's perfect love. It is the highest, or when it's good, it's the highest form of good. Right, or when it's holy, it's the perfect holiness. We have God's eternity in us in relation to time, that God is not bound by time like us, and his immensity, that he's not bound by space like us, right? We can't we can't be here in I mean Mahati right now. We can't be I can't be in Mahati and Manila at the same time. Right? So those are incommunicable attributes of God. They would be those attributes that we don't find in the human, we don't find in the creature. Now, I'd like to add this thing. If you guys remember last week, right, I mentioned the communicable attributes of God and why you should study them, right? I mentioned how um, it's our duty to know God as Christians and it's essential for our sanctification. But let me add another reason that's very specific to the incommunicable attributes of God. And it is the reason that it is only when we know the communicable attributes of God, specifically when we know um, what makes God, God, that we're able to understand our position in relation to him, right? For example, um, you have a friend who's behind you. Um, he's in front of you, right? So your relationship to him is relative to him, right? In the same way, if you guys get an analogy, our relationship with God is relative to him, his being, his attributes, right? And we understand that God is infinite. God is eternal, right? We're able to understand that we're not infinite. We're not temporal. We're, we're temporal. We're not we're not omniscient, we're not omnipresent, right? And it's only then when we can understand through that lens, through the creature, through the creator-creature distinction, it's only through that lens we can understand the rest of the Bible, the works of the covenants, the works of creation, right? So with that, 
we're gonna our structure for this episode is we're gonna discuss as i mentioned earlier we're gonna firstly we're gonna discuss the self-existence of god we're gonna discuss the immutability of god and the infinite the infinity of god so with that go ahead jv thank you very much for that introduction nathan so here we go guys we're going to study um one of the Commendable attributes of God, which is the aseity of God. Basically, what is the aseity of God? Um, as Nathan said, it consists of the self-existence of God, the self-sufficiency of God, the immutability of God, and the and that God is infinite. So it all comes down into those categories. So what does self-existence means? It means that God has all life in Himself, and that He is the giver of life. Ano naman yung self-sufficiency? Those are actually very related. Self-sufficiency and self-existence is that God, as the giver of life, does not depend on anyone or anything. It doesn't depend on the sun para magkaroon siya ng ano power or something. God is not a created being. Yun yun. God is not a created being, but an eternal one. So that is basically what the aseity of God means and what it teaches. Now, why is studying God important? I think Nathan has already said this na before in the introduction. But um, let me quote the uh, 20-year-old Charles Spurgeon. He said, Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity end quote and this is not just about the studying the, the study of god it is all of his attributes it should humble us it should crush our pride diba though we cannot fully fathom the unfathomable we can still learn something from him in his immutable word in his inerrant word so that's basically it guys so if we want to summarize the aseity of god pa The Westminster Shorter Catechism has the answer. It says, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So, yun yun, guys. So, if you want to understand what the, the aseity of God is, two words, infinite, God is infinite, and God is eternal. So, nalaman na natin that God is not dependent on anyone and that he is an eternal being. How can we prove it? Okay, where is the city of God in the Bible? Well, let's start with the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. It means before everything ever existed, God has been already there. God has been there, and He wasn't a created being. He created everything. But he wasn't created. Sinabi nga sa Colossians 1 verse 17, He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. He is before all things and that in Him all things hold together. Everything is dependent on Him. But, we, but He is not dependent on anyone or anything. There wasn't a time where God didn't exist. God has no date of birth nor date of death. Diba? Pag tinanong mo sa tawa niyo sa birthday, malalaman mo dun siya pinanganak. Pero God niyo, you wouldn't find such a thing. In fact, He Himself created time. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. 
Furthermore, we have John 1 verse 3. Now, guys, these were from the Old Testament. Pero let's take a look at the New Testament. It says, All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Who's the Him? All things came into being through Him. Who's Him? It refers to Jesus Christ. And this proves the deity of the Son. Now, we know that God is self-sufficient. He doesn't depend on others that He has always existed. However, another important fact about the aseity is the Son, the divinity of the Son. Some people believe that Jesus was a created being. However, the Bible proclaims that it is not just one God. There is one God in three persons. The glorious Trinity, nandiyan na sila ever since from the beginning. 1 John 1, to, ay, John 1 verse 2, it says, Jesus was in the beginning with God. Psalm 90 verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This refers to the triune God. From all eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has always been there. That is the self-sufficiency of God. And that is the um, self-existence of God. So let's sum up everything that we've learned from that short. We've learned that the ascity says that God is eternal, not created, and has always been existing. He has no beginning and He has no end. He created all things and He was before all things. We also learned that God is self-sufficient as He is the creator of all things. He doesn't depend on anyone. Like for example, we depend on air to breathe. Diba? Sino ba nagbigay ng life natin? Diba? It was God. So we are dependent on God. But God, He has all life in Himself. Tagged on self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency. And this is what makes God unique from other gods. Some gods, you know, some people say they were created, you know, ng ganyan, you know, all sorts of things. But God, the Christian God, the God of the Bible, wasn't created by anyone or nor anything. He was from everlasting to everlasting. Now, what is the application for this? Okay, so sabihin, you know, this is quite a hard doctrine to understand. This is some hard teaching, but actually it's not. So, meron tayong applications because God is eternal and self-sufficient and that we are not. We recognize that we can't do anything apart from Him. Sinabi nga sa Acts 17 verse 28, For in Him, we live and move and exist. We must always remember that we must always thank Him for everything because we are dependent on Him. If it weren't for God, we are nothing. So since we know that God is the creator of all things, the giver of life, we must thank Him. That is the application part. Also, since God is self-sufficient, we can trust that He will take care of us. Kasi siya nag-provide for us, for everything in creation. We are not self-sufficient, but the good shepherd of the sheep is indeed self-sufficient. It gives us also the assurance, God's aseity. As with all the attributes of God, may assurance tayo because He will take care of us and that He is so above. Can you guys um, fathom that you are serving a God that 
wasn't created that he is self sufficient that he is self existent so the bottom line is let us depend on him and trust in him because he is self sufficient and self existent thank you so um for the question okay i have a question for my co-hosts okay how does the city of god makes him unique from other gods okay paano yon okay for example someone will ask you what makes christianity so unique so how does the city of god makes him unique from other religions okay i can jump in first so well I guess there's different ways to answer this because personally, um, like when we see of God, right? There's different gods, the God of Muslim, right, or any other kind of theistic religions, right? But inherent within the idea of God is that He is self-existent. But what really makes the God of Christianity different? I'm sorry if this isn't answered up, but it's the triunity of God, that the Trinity specifically. I guess here's where it comes in that the Trinity is self-existent, right? The if, Forgive me for using technical terms. The ontological trinity that within the trinity, right, that it exists by itself, right. Not no nothing caused it. It necessarily exists, right. And from there, all other beings uh, like humans, animals exist, right. And I guess it just serves us practically, right. When you think about it, that um, early being, our being itself, is dependent on God and. And how when you realize that you know you're a you're a finite being, you're a dependent being, you you understand your position in relation to God, right? And it puts you in I guess position of like wow, like I didn't have to exist, but here I am, right? But you guys, for me, naman, I think I believe that God's aseity is superior over every other god. This might seem as circular reasoning, pero. God is self-existent because He is the only God. He has proven Himself to be God over and over again. If the other gods were true, there would have been uh, specific evidence. There would have been something, something to really solidify their position as a bona fide God. But the God of the Bible is the only one who has proven Himself worthy. First and foremost, to His word, which has stood the test of time. And yeah, with with one thing that also Nathan has said, I would also like to add the fact that he is a triune God. But in other religions, they have monotheistic God, Allah, and then polytheism with the Hindus and all of those other religions. But our God is self-sufficient in Himself. He did not have to have a creation story. He was not born from anything. But the mere fact that His Majesty and His glory. Doesn't need any explanation. It's really something that's awe-inspiring. We don't need to know everything about God. That's why we should only stick to what we know in His Word. Right, and um, just to add to like what Jelly and Nathan mentioned, that I really can't comprehend it. Right, and one thing that's really great about it is that though He doesn't need the world or anything in it that isn't dependent on us, He freely enters it. Right, and He brings upon everybody. Um, Upon us, actually, blessings and judgment, and you know, when everything that he does, it's not to meet a need in himself, really, but in fact, it's to meet a need in others. Okay, thank you guys for thank you, JV, and thank you guys for the answer to the question about the aseity of God. For my topic, I would like to discuss the immutability of God. So this talks about God's unchangeableness. Sabi dito sa Malachi three verse six, I am the Lord, and I do not change. 
God is unchangeable in nature and in His decree. So this is a twofold explanation. It's twofold of His of His unchangeableness or immutability. So talk about God's unchangeable nature. There's no eclipse in His brightness. God's essence shines with a fixed luster. So who does not change like shifting shadows? Sabi dito sa James 1 verse 17. The heavens change, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Psalm 102:26-27. So even the heavens change, but the created heavens that God made, they change. They will someday they will be So they will be disintegrated. They will be gone. They, they, they change from day to night and then from night to day. We know that they change because God has ordained it to change. The angels were subject to change. They were created holy, but they were mutable. The angels which kept their not their first estate, sabi sa Jude 6. These morning stars of heaven were also falling stars. Some of them, at least. But God's glory shines with a fixed brightness. In God, there is nothing which can change for better or for worse. He cannot change for the better, because then He would not now be perfect. He cannot change for the worse, for then He would cease to be perfect. God is immutably holy, immutably good, and there is no shadow of change in Him. But when Christ, who is God, assumed the human nature, was there change? Nagbago ba si God? If the divine nature had been converted into the human, or into the human into the divine, there would have been a change, but they were not. The human nature was distinct from God's divine nature, therefore there was no change. A cloud over the sun makes no change in the sun, just so. Even though the divine nature is covered with the human nature, it makes no change in God's divine nature. The second point lang dito sa nature ni God, there is no end put to His being. God alone has immortality. The Godhead cannot die. An infinite essence cannot be changed into finite. And God is infinite. He is eternal. Consequently, He is not mortal. To be eternal and mortal is a contradiction. What a comfort to know that we have an eternal God. If we knew that God had an expiration date, He would just have been like what Sam said a few episodes ago. A functional Savior. He would only work for a time, but after His quote-unquote parang period, niya, we would be in total disarray, we would be in shock, we would be in confusion because we don't know where we will put our confidence in. We can make our own idols, but they will not satisfy us since they're not even greater than us, but they can't do anything for us. See the excellence of the divine nature in its immutability. This is the glory of the Godhead. Mutableness denotes weakness and is not in God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Men are fickle, fickle and mutable, like Rio Ben, unstable as water. Men are changeable in their principles. If their faces altered as fast as their opinions, we would not recognize them. See the vanity of the creature. There are changes in everything but in God. The creature is true to nothing but deceit and is constant only in its disappointments. It is no more astonishing to see changes in the creature than to see the moon dressing itself in a new shape and figure. Expect to meet with changes in everything but God. The only thing constant is change. Not only change, but the only thing that's constant is God. Like what I've said earlier, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what confidence and security we can have in that truth. And the second is God is unchangeable in His decree, in His word. What He has decreed from eternity is unalterable. My purpose will stand and I will do all that I please, says in Isaiah 46 verse 10. 
God's eternal counsel or decree is immutable. If he changed his decree, it must be from some defect of wisdom or foresight, for that is the reason why men change their purposes. They see something afterwards which they did not see before. But this cannot change because why God should alter after his decree? Because his knowledge is perfect. He sees all things in one entire prospect before him. But is not God said to repent? There seems to be a change in his decree. The Lord repented of evil that he said he would do unto them. Repentance is attributed to God figuratively. He is not a man that he should repent. There may be a change in God's work, but not in God's will. He may will a change, but not change his will. God may change his sentence, but not his decree. God threatened destruction to Nineveh, but the people of Nineveh repenting, God spared them. Here God changed his sentence, but not his decree. It was what he had lain in the womb of his purpose from eternity. So, yet again, another thing that we can take comfort in, diba? If God did have but changes in his decree, we would also be in constant fear, But God's word would not be as stable as it is now. It would not be as reliable because one moment, Jesus would have died for our sins, if God was changeable in his decree. And then if Jesus was on that cross, he could have chosen to just quit. He could have chosen to send his angels and kill all of those who persecuted him. But because God has decreed that before the beginning of time, he does not change because that is his nature. So that concludes my part in God's immutability. So for our application, it says that God's immutability brings comfort to the guilty. So I already had a bit of emphasis here kanina. In case of losses, the comfort is God is unchangeable. You may lose things, you may lose loved ones, but you cannot lose God. He never dies. When the fig tree and the olive tree failed, God did not fail. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation is what David said. Because it's the true fact that if... You have ev- if you lose everything else, you cannot lose your God. But if, if, if you're truly in God, you will find Him more valuable than anything else in this world or anyone or, or anything that you have or you hold on to. Not your titles, not your accomplishments, not your riches, not even your own name. But the God of the universe is the one that you can hold on to because He knows your future. And if you are in Him, be sure that your future is for the best in accordance to His will. In the case of sadness of spirit, God's love stands firmer than the mountains. His love to Christ is unchangeable and He will no more cease loving believers than He will cease loving Christ. So see that, diba yung His love to Christ is wrapped to those who are who believe in Jesus then. The same love that God has given to His Son is the same love that He gives to, to those who are His. Even that amazing fact that we do not deserve God's love, but we still receive the full love. We were supposed to receive the full wrath of God, but we but God changed it, but He transformed it into His love. He laid the wrath upon Jesus Christ instead of us. Because even one small sin, but that, that already wanted us an eternity in hell. But because of God's great love, but it stands firmer than the mountains. And it's never something that we will ever merit. We cannot merit it. But it's something that God mercifully gives us to us. It's just the wonder of God's love that really that we should really simmer in, but we should really ponder about in our minds today. So the last point is of exhortation. Application point is get a saving interest in the unchangeable God. Then you are as a rock in the sea, immovable in the midst of all changes. A lot of people have their own opinions. They have 
whatever they want to say and they voice it out in social media and sometimes they're heard sometimes they're cancelled most of the time the bad they, they just get into arguments because their points are so radical they, they get into these parang echo chambers or the, these uh, places in social media where they are only met with those whom they agree with but when they encounter something foreign they just go full hostile mode against other people and it doesn't end well no one wins in these arguments so my point lang dito is if you are rooted in the word of god you don't have to debate you don't have to seek what the truth is because the truth is already clearly laid out through your word and through the being of god he is truth so as i end we should remember that god is our rock our rock like what i've said is not anything we own anything we have anything we know but the rock that we can truly trust on is the god who made us and the god who knows everything and has willed everything into existence and knows that the end is in accordance to his will and in accordance to his favor so my question lang to you guys as i do the application diba what are the practical applications in knowing the immutability of god what is our response okay so i think one would be that diba that's it's so important to understand that god does not change in his nature right even in the incarnation that it didn't add on idols It's not like diba, JV, JV said, right? The sun, it's covered by a cloud. The sun doesn't change. It's still the sun. Right? And how a god, diba, a god who can change, right? Like maybe some kind of Zeus or from Greek or Norse mythology, right? That that god is not the god of Christianity. That, 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 that god has passion for changes, right? But we have a god that is Kabona, and that, you know, as JV said, we can rest in him. And that we know that how he will act Um, how he acts now, how he was acted in the Bible, it's still how he's going to act up to this point, right? It's not going to change. He's not going to randomly decide, hey, I guess I don't want to save these people anymore, right? But he decided before he's going to continue, but he's going to finish it. Okay, um, my answer is quite similar to Nathan's. Is that you know, since God doesn't change, what is the practi- practical application? Well, share the gospel. Why? Because God is infinitely holy and that He's just. So, when He's angry at sin before, He's still angry at sin today. That's why we are to proclaim the gospel. And we know that God is still angry at sin. Pero we all know that God is still um, opening that door to salvation. He's still offering that free gift. So, Since we know we know that God doesn't change, that He will w- accept those who will come to Him. Let us share the gospel, because the gospel is of His power unto salvation. And since He doesn't change, we must share the gospel. So I think that's one of the uh, practical ways that we could pick up from the immu- from the immutability of God is to share His immutable gospel through His immutable word. Thank you. Okay. Um, I just want to use this as a little prompt for what we'll be discussing in just a bit. And because, right, you talked about the immutability of God. And this is really necessary, right, for his perfection. Because if anything changes, it must change for the better or the worse, right? Because a change that makes no difference is not a change. And so for something like this to take place, either something needs to be added or um, something needs to be subtracted, right? But therefore, with God, he is perfect and he doesn't change and um it really shows us that 
he is divine in his perfection, right? So um, a little more on that. Let's go into our next um, topic, our next point, which is the infinity of God. Um, the infinity of God, right? It's the perfection by which he is free from all limitations. And in ascribing it to him, we deny that there are or can be any limitations to the divine being or his attributes. Um, it's implying that he is in no way limited by the universe, by this time, you know, space world, or confined to the universe. It doesn't involve his identity with the sum total of existing things, nor does it exclude the coexistence of derived and finite things to which he bears relation. This infinity of God, you know, it must be conceived as intensive rather than extensive, and it shouldn't be confused with the boundless extension, as if God were spread out through the entire universe, right? You know, one part being here and another there, because God, he doesn't have no body and therefore no extension. Neither should it be regarded as a merely negative concept, though it is perfectly true that we cannot form a positive idea of it because there really is no frame of reference um, to, that, to that we can comprehend this right. You know, in reality, it's really only God that can fully comprehend him, right? You know, we distinguish these various aspects of God's infinity. And it says, right, in Psalm 147, verse 5, that great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So um, let's jump straight into his absolute perfection. You know, this is the infinity of his divinity considered in itself. It shouldn't be understood in a quantitative, but in a qualitative sense, because it qualifies all of the communicable attributes of God. And infinite power, it's not an absolute quantum, but um, an exhaustless potency of power and an infinite holiness that really isn't bound to anything, right? It's unbounded. There, um, it's, inf it's infinite but a holiness which is really free from all limitation and like what Jenny mentioned earlier, free of all defect. Um, the same may be said of the infinite knowledge and wisdom, um, for love, righteousness, all these attributes. And we can say that in this infinity, ultimately, right, internally and qualitatively, the absence of all this um, unrighteousness, the boundless potentiality, in the sense of the word infinity of God is simply identical with the perfection of his being, of his divinity. Um, we can find that, right, in Job 11, verse 7 to 10. It says, um, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than the heaven, and what can you do? Deep in the shoal, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes through and imprisons and summons the court, who can turn him back? Yeah, so it brings us really, you know, to his eternity. Because the infinity of God in relation to time is called, yeah, that, his eternity. The form in which God, in which the Bible represents God's eternity is simply that of duration through the endless ages. Um, right, we said, before the mountains are brought forth, or ever yet formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. They say that in Psalm 90, verse 2, and we should remember that in speaking as it does the bible uses popular language and not the language of philosophy because we generally think of god's eternity in the same way you know in duration infinitely prolonged both backwards and forwards but this is only um a symbolical way of representing it that really that which in really reality transcends time and differs from essentially you know so in eternity the strict sense 
is ascribed to that which transcends all temporal limitations. That it applies to God in that sense, at least it's intimated in um, 2 Peter 3 verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. You know, time is strictly has relation to the world of objects existing in succession. God fills time is in every part of it, but his eternity still is not really this being in time. It is rather that, that which forms a contrast. Our existence is marked off by days and weeks and months and years, not so the existence of God. Our life, you know, is divided, right? Past, present, and future. But there is no such division in the life of Jesus, in the life of God, because he is the eternal I am. And his eternity may be defined as the perfection of God, whereby he is elevated above all these limits and all the succession of moments, and he possesses the whole of this existence in one indivisible present. You know, the relationship um, of eternity to time, it constitutes as one of the most difficult problems, right? Perhaps it's, you know, we're really just incapable of comprehending this, um, finding a solution to this, right, in our present condition. So really this doctrine is, God is all his attributes fully at the same time. And there are a few more points to this that really, um, the first, the main use of information is that Christ is God because eternity is an attribute of God that is clearly ascribed to Christ, right? It says in Colossians 1, 17, and he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. The truth is stated, right, in numerous texts, like in Micah, uh, which mentions the going forth of Christ twice, once in the days of his incarnation and once in eternity. And Christ, he speaks of a glory that he had with um, uh, with the Father before the world was. It, sa- it says that in John 17, verse 5, that, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. When there was no creature in being, this is an actual glory. And not only in decree, for a decreed glory believers had and why you know why doesn't everyone say them every one of them say them in these words right if it were only glory in decree and it may be said that every man he was before the world was because he was so in decree and christ speaks of something really peculiar right that a glory of actual possession before the world was the eternity of um, god is clearly the fundamental importance of our faith and there's really no hope for us without it because um, as the eternity of God is the ground of all religion, right, of our beliefs, so the eternity of Christ is the ground of um, all this, that our sin could be perfectly expiated, right, that he had an eternal divinity to answer for the offenses committed against an eternal God. And second is really, um, it brings us comfort, right, the use of comfort, because it's obvious that why the eternity of God is a source of our encouragement, because if he's eternal, then so are his promises to us, and we are united to one who is not only immortal, but one who will be a source of constant and unfading enjoyment and um, really the source of life, right? An eternal God is not only a God who has the power to keep his promises, but also one who has a perfect wisdom deriving from a perfect foreknowledge. And this incidentally, it shows how God's attributes are intricately linked to each other. So um, it's just the greatest assurance that really men, they may break their they may break their promises because they are made without foresight. But God, because he is eternal, he inhabits eternity, for knows all of these things that shall be done under the sun. 
as if they had been acting, you know, before, and nothing can intervene or work a change in his resolves, because the least circumstances were eternally foreseen as by him. And today, right, more than ever, the church, um, we need to treasure this glorious attribute of eternity in which it partakes, because in the greatest confusions, right, our eyes, they're supposed to be, they're always supposed to be fixed upon this eternity of the throne where he sits as the, as the governor of the world, and really no creature can take any comfort in this perfection but the church. Other creatures depend upon God, but us, right, we are united to him. And finally, and um, I think ultimately, is the use of this is our need to reflect on sin, right? It's against this eternity of God, because all sin is aggravated by God's eternity. And, you know, why is that? Because it's really... All of the sin, you know, the transgression, it stems from an inadequate view of God's attributes, in particular his eternity. And there is, in the nature of every sin, a tendency to reduce God to, you know, not a being, right? He thinks, so really he who thinks unworthily of God or acts this way towards him destroys these two perfections of his, which is immutability and eternity. He that loves, a per- rightly said, that he that loves a perishing thing with the same affection should he should love and an everlasting God despises his eternity. And lastly, um, as I close this, right, this challenging thought really deserves long and careful meditation and really just learning more about him because if there's one thing that this teaches us, it's really thinking about God's attributes. It may be hard work and um, difficult to comprehend at times, but no other object of study is more suitable to humble really and expand our mind because it allows us to forget ourselves and focus all our attention on the only true God who is the source of all life and blessings. So, you know, this one, right, is surely the spring from which all life flows. Thanks, Sam. So, yeah, so we're, I'm gonna tackle today's uh, immanence of God, the immensity of God. So it's more of an extension, right, of the basic category, which is the the infinity of God, right? Sam mentioned the infinite perfections of God, which is moral character. Sam mentioned the eternity of God, that God does not exist in time. And, this one man is the immensity of God, which is the attribute of God that says that He is beyond space as well. But here's a but, but He is also at every point. So let's, let's break it down because that may seem apparent, but may at first glance seem like a contradiction. So let's let's dig into um, first the immensity of God. So um, if you look at scripture, if you look at First Kings eight verse twenty seven, it says, "But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold." Heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house, which I have built. And we read the second one, which is Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where where then is the house you could build for me? And where is the place that I may rest? Right? So we understand one of the attributes of God is that he is also a spirit, right? Um, he is contained to be in one place at one time, like us humans, right? They mentioned earlier, I can't be in Mahati and Miller, nor can I be in Mahati and Pasig at the same time, right? But God can because He isn't even part of this. He's not bound by space, right? He created space. He created time itself. He exists beyond it, right? And Scripture says the same thing, right? God says, um, how can you contain me, right? Because um, He doesn't exist there. He can manifest Himself there. But in reality, God is... God is everywhere, but let me um, add some nuance to, to that statement. That this doesn't mean um, we don't believe in pantheism, which is basically that 
God is the universe and the universe is God. Literally, even us, every created creature is God. But that's not what we're saying here. We're not saying that God is part of the universe. We just said that God exists beyond the universe, right? That's a category that God doesn't even fit it. So it can't be a contradiction because God does, God's not even part of the universe, right? He exists on different parameters. So let's continue, Pa. So how about this one? This is from Acts 7, verse 48 to 49. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. And as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what, what is there for my repose? And Acts 17, verse 24, um, it repeats it again. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, right? That he can't dwell in that. He doesn't live there. And now that we understand, right, that God exists outside of the space, he exists outside of this physical realm, we can go to God being at every point every time. Or in other words, God is omnipresent. I think it's a more familiar term for Christians, right? That God is omnipresent. It's basically what it's saying. Where immanence or immensity emphasizes that God exists outside of the universe, omnipresent says that God is everywhere, right? At every point that his whole being is there. So let's go to Jeremiah 23, verse, um, chapter 23, verse 23, 24, where it says, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places? So I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. Right. And similar sentiments here arise in Psalm 139, verse 7, 12. Uh, this is a very familiar to us, right? Um, this is David. Where, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in chill, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the ocean, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are light. Right? That God, even though God exists beyond the universe, He is there with us. Right? Now, as the psalmist said, where can I flee from the spirit? Where can I escape? I can't. Right? God is there. God's watching, right? It fits in with all the other attributes of God that He is really there. He sees all, He knows all. Right? And Knowing that, right, what are the practical implications specifically of knowing that God is immanent and that knowing that God is omnipresent? And the fact is that we can take comfort in that fact. God, even though we can't physically see him, we know that he is providentially guiding the universe, that he is involved, that there, there is nothing that he does not, or that he turns a blind eye to, because he is everywhere. He knows all, right? And I guess to talk about what we've talked about this entire episode, right? When we started, we talked about the self-existent, the seity of God. We talked about the immutability of God. We talked about the infinite perfections of God. We talked about the eternity of God. That in the end, that God serves as the absolute reference point for everything, right? So self-existence of God, right? That us, we didn't have to exist, right? And everything that doesn't have to exist needs to have a reason for existing. And the reason for existing can't be another it can't be another thing that um, doesn't have to exist. It has to be something that necessarily exists. That is, in other words, self-existent. That's God. For morality, for example, right? We learned about the communicable attributes of God. That morality, right? Whenever we make a judgment, that's bad, that's good. 
it implies implies a standard or rule, diba? Kumbaga, if you can draw a line in the sand, tapos you good and bad, right? You're dividing it. You're like, okay, this one, it goes here. Um, Holocaust, for example, right? And we find that in the attributes of God, His very being, that His work, that God's being itself serves as a standard for morality, for values itself, right? And with that, that we can just keep that in mind, that we understand that God, that, I guess the main point of the episode is that God really is the foundation for everything. It's really the Christian God, although um, some other religions would share this view, but I really is triune. So as we close here, you want to just remember that, that let me go back to the introduction, right, where I mentioned the creature, the creator-creature distinction, right, that creator, if a God is so different from us, yet he relates to us through his work, through his creation. So he's not um, in theological terms, wholly other. He's so far off, we can't grasp it. But he has revealed himself in the word of God. He has revealed himself. He has disclosed himself to humans right, in a way that we can understand. And we should always view this the intermediate attributes as the lens for one. Um, primary tool we can learn about the Bible that the Bible that the God described in the Bible is self-existent, that He's immutable, that He's perfect, and He exists in eternity, and He's everywhere. Thank you, Nathan, for that wonderful outro of our series God Is. But don't worry, Madam Patang, third episode in which we will talk about the Trinity. So I hope that we will be able to really thoroughly discuss it the most biblical way possible kasi medyo masalimuot yung mga topics pero it's essential that all believers and even non-believers should know who the true God is. And with that guys, thank you very much for watching our podcast either on YouTube and Spotify and if you haven't, please like our Facebook page, share and thank you very much for your time for listening to this episode. I'd also like to appreciate my co-hosts JV, Nathan, and Sam for taking the time of recording and uh, preparing some notes for this important topic of the incommunicable attributes of God. And with that, this is the truth of the matter signing off. Thank you guys. Bye-bye. Bye guys. See you next episode. Thank you.